Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we've discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what film we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes facts about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Released on June 12, 1987, up-and-coming director John McTiernan's second film introduced action and horror fans to a brand new kind of extraterrestrial threat. It was a bona fide box office hit when released due to its star-studded macho cast while solidifying Arnold Schwarzenegger's rising star power status. Alongside Schwarzenegger, the film cast Carl Weathers, Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Landham, Richard Chavez, and Shane Black as a group of commando mercenaries on a rescue mission in Central America who unknowingly encounter an alien creature bigger, badder, and more powerful than they are. The hunter we call Predator. All right, well, we're talking about Predator from 1987, uh, the original, uh, and I once again have my good friend Laramie Wells as my guest co-host and uh we're excited about this one say hello Laramie hello Laramie <laughs> all right well you know the drill what was when was the first time you saw a predator honestly can't remember but uh, I know <laughs> I know I saw it as a kid right um and so it was probably you know more likely it was on television um so a lot of the gore uh you know, was clearly taken out. Right. Um, you know, I, but I do remember seeing it as a kid, uh, you know, and I, I've seen it many times yeah. since. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just one of those, one of those great eighties action movies. Um, you know, I've, 
I, you know, probably had, I had it on DVD. Mm-hmm. I know I got it on like a special edition Blu-ray. Uh, and then I was one of the, the people who, you know, when uh, 3D televisions were a thing, uh, mm-hmm. I bought a 3D television and I actually got where they rema- remade it uh, so that it fit the 3D platform. Okay. Um, so I even saw it in 3D. I've seen, <laughs> I own every single one of the uh, sequels and reboots, okay. gotcha. uh, ex- except for the newest one. I okay. actually have not seen The Predator. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I, yeah, you're not missing much. <laughs> well, see, Predators yeah. um, kind of kind of went, I just kind of went, eh. Yeah. And so, but, I actually, but no. I actually liked Predators. I, I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it in a while, but when it when it first came out and I saw it, I actually liked it. I liked the the way you know the different take they took on it. So, but uh, I did see the last The Predator in the theater, and I was not that impressed with it. So, yeah, I think I saw it. I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I probably saw it on VHS. I probably saw it on VHS before I saw a TV version of it. Um, but I own the VHS copy of it. Um, before I got into DVDs, I had some special edition DVD. I think I got it like a Costco or a Sam's Club um, that I had for a long time. I remember buying the DVD, going home in the middle of the afternoon, like closing all the blinds, getting as dark in the room as I could get it, you know, on the biggest TV that I could watch it on. And I tried to like recreate the theater experience with, since it was in widescreen, you know, wasn't in the pan and scan from the VHS and uh, and really enjoyed it. I do not have a Blu-ray copy of it. Um, I'll probably get one at some point because I'm like it's like I'm like you. I've I've seen this one so many times. Um, you know, I was repeating most of the lines with the cast as I was watching it this time. Uh, but when was the last time you saw it before watching it for the podcast? Uh, it, it it honestly has probably been a few years. Um... I probably, I mean, it's probably been within 10 years, though, yeah. um, that I watched it last. Uh, I know I haven't watched it since I've had a kid. Um, you know, <laughs> it's one of those you can't really watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I know I haven't watched it. So it's been at least seven years Yeah. Um, since I've seen it. But I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it uh, within the last 10, though. Yeah. I think it was, it was a Saturday morning. My wife and I were, you know, kind of laying around, lounging around. And it was, I either it was about to come on or it had just come on whatever, one of the one of the channels, the cable channels or whatever. And so we were like, ooh, let's watch it. And because my wife loves Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sly Stallone movies. So um, she was game to sit there and watch it. So we watched it all the way through. And that was the first time I had seen it all the way through in several years. So um, so it'd been it'd been about a year. It's been within it's been since we moved back to Georgia, so in the last two and a half, three years that I'd seen it. But uh it was still good to rewatch it, you know, this past weekend. So Yeah, and I will say back when I still had uh you know, like cable satellite T V mm-hmm. uh it is one it was one of those. I mean I don't have that anymore. Yeah. But um, you know, that I would stop and watch a few minutes of it yeah. if I'm flipping the channels and it's on. It's just it's iconic Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, it's one of those movies that he's, you know, he's synonymous with, just like Terminator from the 80s. Right. Again, John McTiernan, so great. And uh, there's so many good lines in this movie. But <laughs> let's, get, let's get talking. I'm sure we'll hit a lot of Oh, that. yeah, yeah. 
All right, so we'll talk a little bit about how it came to be. So following the release of Rocky IV, a joke circulated in Hollywood that since Rocky Balboa had run out of earthly opponents, he would have to fight an alien in a fifth film if it were to be made. So screenwriters Jim and John Thomas took the inspiration from the joke and wrote a screenplay based on it. Their script for Predator was originally titled Hunter, which actually was the running title until right before its release, around a band of alien hunters of various species seeking various targets, but was eventually streamlined to one extraterrestrial hunting the most dangerous species being humans and the most dangerous man, a combat soldier. Additionally, the setting was chosen as Central America because they were having constant special forces operations during that time. So the script was picked up by 20th Century Fox in 1985 and turned over to producer Joel Silver, who, based on his experience with Commando, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, film before this one, he decided to turn the science fiction pulp storyline into a big-budget film. Silver enlisted his former boss, Lawrence Gordon, as co-producer, and John McTiernan was hired as director for his first big studio film. The original idea centered around the idea of what it was to be hunted. I know you're a McTiernan fan, so I don't have to ask you the question. What did you think of Nick McTiernan as the director? <laughs> oh, I, like, I mean, I have actually seen every McTiernan film except the one before this. Right, um, Nomads, I think is yeah, the name of that I've never one. seen Nomad. Um, no, I love McTiernan, yeah. um, especially you know in the 80s. Yeah, uh, 80s and into the 90s, and then he started to go downhill a little bit. Right. Um, uh, Rollerball and uh, 13th Warrior, not not on my uh, my list of top <laughs> top films. But of course, Die Hard yep. is my you know pretty much my number two uh, favorite movie. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back into Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yep. Um, you know I. I I like, and I like what uh, McTiernan t- tends to do in a lot of his action movies, uh, where the movie starts off like we're coming into the middle of something, right, right, and you know we we have to we have to figure out what's going on mm-hmm. as we go along, right. Um, you know, he kind of does that with Die Hard a little bit, yeah, where we yeah. Just, we open up with John just arriving at an airport, and we don't know why he's there, and mm-hmm. then he's going to see his wife and she's got a different last name and we're not sure about all, you know, we're having to figure all that oh, out. Yeah, yeah. This movie does the same thing. You yeah. know, we've got this, this team of, you know, specialist mercenaries, uh, arriving. We've got Carl Weathers, you know, sitting in this like restaurant bar, uh, <laughs> kind of this mysterious figurehead. Right. Um, you know, and we just, you know, very similar to the characters themselves. We have to figure out what's yeah. happening yeah. as it goes along. I love how, and, and I, I always forget about the opening shot of the spacecraft because yeah. I'm so used to thinking of the first half of the movie being like your typical action, a typical action movie, you know, uh, like Schwarzenegger said he took the role or he really wanted to do the movie because he wanted to do his own kind of Dirty Dozen, Magnificent Seven um, kind of a team film where Commando, the movie he did before, it was kind of like just him, like he was... You know, he was doing everything. And so uh, to have that kind of feel for the first half of the movie before you really get the Predator really becomes more focal of the story. um, I think that's what kind of makes it really, really well. Once again, that's what I think set John McTiernan as being a a great action director because he was able to kind of tell that story at the beginning and not lose you when it switched to more of the 
sci-fi horror elements once the Predator became uh, more prominent in the story. But uh, yeah, I, I will say the the, the open and I actually, even though I just you know rewatched it for this podcast, mm-hmm. I forgot about that opening scene with the spacecraft too. I honestly um, <clears throat> I have mixed feelings about that scene because one, it almost it all and again we're watching it you know in 2020 <laughs> you know 30 years later almost right. um, but. Uh, it almost gives it a, like, it's going to be a B movie um, mm-hmm. to me. But then at the same time, when you think of the storytelling, you also realize, you know, it's setting up, hey, there's going to be something, uh, there's going to be an alien involved here. Right. Which, I, again, going back to the negative, I think kind of spoils a little bit of the reveal mm-hmm. later. Right. Um, but then you also have to, re- you also realize he's one. Because they drop him off, mm-hmm. right. you know, in, the, right. in that opening scene, you see his little capsule, um, which I would love for them to go back and explain where was where is his capsule, right? Like, yeah, because you never see that, like what he no. hatched out of or whatever. You know, did it get destroyed? You know, it, I mean, it, it's a, a trivial thing that's not right. really needed, but you, it makes you kind of wonder. Right, right. All right, well, let's get into the casting. So. Um, Silver and Gordon first approached Arnold Schwarzenegger with the lead role. Uh, he had previously starred in Commando, as I said, which Silver had served as producer on. To play the elite band of soldiers, both Silver and Gordon, with co-producer John Davis, searched for other larger-than-life men of action. Carl Weathers, who had been memorable as boxer Apollo Creed in the Rocky films, was their first choice to play Dylan, while professional wrestler and former Navy SEAL Jesse Ventura was hired for his formidable physique as Blaine, Co-starring with Schwarzenegger the same year in The Running Man, which is another one of my favorites. Yeah. Also cast were Sonny Landham, uh, Richard Chavez, Shane Black, and Bill Duke, who co-starred alongside Schwarzenegger in Commando as well. So. Look, we probably won't talk focus on him much, but we got to talk about Shane Black. For yeah. A minute. Oh yeah, I got I got some stories. <clears throat> yeah, because this is a guy who, you know, kind of a small part. Right. Right. But when you realize that this is the man who went on to write, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he helped co-write Die Hard with a Vengeance. He wrote Lethal um, Weapon. Lethal Weapon. And then, you know, me as a, a, a big superhero guy, mm-hmm. guy went on to write Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you Directed know, he's, Iron he's Man probably, 3, yeah. Yeah, he's probably, you know, more known for being a writer than it yeah. is, he is an actor. Well, that's actually um, why he was in this film. Like they, basically, Joel Silver had already read *Lethal Weapon*, so they wanted him on set to do quick rewrites of the script uh, on the okay. fly. So he was really more there as a uncredited script doctor, um, which is why he's killed so early in the film, and uh, and has such a small role. So yeah, so he was actually kind of a last minute addition to the team. Uh, because Joel Silver wanted him basically there as a writer more than an actor, even though his acting wasn't bad. But all the bad jokes that he that he told were his original. Those were all his original ideas. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure a lot of those were cut out the first time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, uh, they should have. Yeah. So, and just to uh, if you since you haven't seen the new Predator, just know that those type of jokes get intensified in the new Predator. He has another character that likes to tell those type of jokes as well. So, Jesse Ventura, and I think it also helps. He has one of the most iconic lines. 
Oh yeah, I, mean, I, ain't, I ain't got, got time, time to bleed. bleed. Yep, exactly. I, you know, that's one of those lines I'll throw in whenever I have mm -hmm. the opportunity. Yep, exactly. Um, Who was your favorite commando on the team? I, you know, I, <laughs> again, you take out you take out Arnold, obviously. Right. Um, I'm, I am. I don't know if it's because as a child I was a huge wrestling fan. <laughs> um, but You're still a big wrestling fan. What are you talking about? Well, yes, but I mean, even <laughs> as a child, like you know, from from a young age, right? And he's such a video game character in this movie. Mm. There is no reason for him to have that giant gun that he has. <laughs> um, nothing about their mission, uh, you know, says he's going to need that. Right. Right. Um, so I, you know, just love it. You know, his grizzled voice works so well for that type of character. You know, even though he meets. Uh, he's what the second or third guy to to be killed by the predator. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He just made such a mark. Uh, his his part in that movie, right? Um, so so no, I, I would definitely have to go with with Jesse Ventura. Yeah, I think it's tough because, yeah, I mean Ventura. I was a wrestling fan when that when this came out. So of course when it was Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh yeah. So to see him in a movie was like icing on the cake. Um, and he is so over the top. I mean, he was the most fun of the commandos, really. Uh, going back and watching it, I think I like Bill Duke a lot. Maybe because he has the most depth of the characters. Like, he's the one that shows more empathy when uh, Blaine gets killed. So he well, has I mean, some, that, some great he, moments. He, he is an actor. I mean, he, he can do that so well. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done action. He's done drama. Yeah. Um, he can speak so much through his eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, so, but, um, it, yeah, it's tough not to go with, with Jesse. He has, like you said, he has the most iconic lines. He's almost the equal to Schwarzenegger in the movie. I mean, I know they kind of, story-wise, it should be Carl Weathers, but he yeah. just doesn't, he doesn't have that same presence that that Ventura has. But, of course... Ventura and Schwarzenegger had this kind of off-camera rivalry as well, so that really uh, came across too on on the screen as well. I think so. Uh, Jesse Ventura was delighted to find out from the wardrobe department that his arms were one inch bigger than Schwarzenegger's. He suggested to Schwarzenegger they measure arms, and the winner getting a bottle of champagne. Ventura lost, of course, because Schwarzenegger had told the wardrobe department to fool Ventura by telling him that his arms were bigger. Carl Weathers joked in an interview that Schwarzenegger got him addicted to cigar smoking during filming. Arnold, famous for smoking cigars, offered one to Weathers, who initially declined because he was a non-smoker from his pro football player days, but eventually gave in. Once Weathers had tried it, Arnold gave him an entire box of cigars. Weathers ended his part of the interview by looking at the camera and cheerfully declaring, Shame on you, Arnold. Shame on you. What's interesting is I was just watching a behind-the-scenes video before we started, um... And it was him doing an interview. He was so much more lively and energetic in the interview than he is in any of his in any of the movies. Like he always kind of plays it more serious in the movies. Most of his movie roles, I think, aside from Happy Gilmore, is probably his most uh, goofy role. But uh, right. there is a uh, he and Sly, you know, running frolicking down the beach <laughs> in uh, Rocky Two, right? Or Rocky Three, whichever one that was. Yeah, I think it was three. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah. So we talked about Shane Black, who plays Hawkins. Uh, as I said, he had previously written the screenplay for Lethal Weapon. 
a few things about him. It said he hated the glasses he was given to wear as Hawkins. He actually wanted to wear authentic military-issue ballistic glasses worn by actual troops in the field, but John McTiernan wanted him to look as geeky as possible. He was also originally supposed to wear a distinctive red beret, most likely inspired by the U.S. Army's maroon airborne berets worn by American paratroopers. But Shane Black refused to wear it as he thought it would look ridiculous in the jungle. He later regretted the decision as he felt it would have made his character stand out. And uh, during his free time on making Predator, he actually wrote the screenplay for The Last Boy Scout, which later on starred Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. So... Now, do you know who was originally cast as the Predator? That dude, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I've, heard, I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah. I just found out about that like uh, about a year or so ago. So uh, I think that was interesting. You know, he was 5'9", so compared to Schwarzenegger, Weathers, and Ventura, actors who were over six feet tall and known for their bodybuilding regimes, it became apparent a more physically imposing man was needed to make the creature appear threatening. Also, it was reported that Van Damme constantly complained about the monster suit being too hot and actually caused him to pass out a few times. He allegedly also had repeatedly voiced reservations about only appearing on camera in the suit. The original design for the Predator was felt to be too cumbersome and difficult to manage in the jungle, and even with a more imposing actor did not provoke enough fear. Van Damme was removed from the film after two days and replaced by seven foot seven I mean seven foot four inch Kevin Peter Hall who also that year played Big, the Bigfoot in Harry and the Hendersons. Yep, and would continue playing the Predator for Predator 2. Yeah. It's like one of the only connections between right. Right. The, the two movies. Yeah, that's a mountain of a man. Karate. Van Damme, there really is no reason to have Van Damme as the Predator. Right. Well, the uh, original, I think the original idea is they actually want him to do like his martial arts fighting as the alien but I think once they actually got him there and in a suit, it was evident that wasn't going to be possible. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad that didn't work because that would have made it, talking about a B-movie, that would have really made it B-movie level if you've got this alien or whatever. So doing splits between trees and stuff like that. So uh, I think it worked out better with a more imposing, more of a hunter, which was what, you know, like I said, the original... Uh, concept was anyway so yeah. yeah i'm glad they they changed the name too because hunter would not have i don't think that would have stuck as well in the right. pop culture lexicon um you know especially when they later merged you know alien versus predator right uh, right then you know alien versus hunter would not have <laughs> yeah well, there was, well, I, I under, from what I understand, they, they changed the name. There were two reasons why they changed the name. One, there had been a movie called Hunter that came out, I think, in 1984. But also, there was a t TV show on around that same time called Hunter uh, with Fred Dreyer. It was kind of a cop procedure. I remember watching that as a kid. And so they... Was, was that... No, nah, I, I was just trying to think. Like, I think I remember that, that yeah. show. Yeah, and so they didn't want there to be any confusion between the the TV show and the movie. So, but predator does paints a better picture of a title than just Hunter. Hunter yeah. could be anything, but a predator gives more of that, uh, killing monster creature kind of vibe to it. So, yeah. And it's, it's so hard for us to actually have that discussion, you know, 30 years later, uh, because it is so 
uh, you know, connected. I, right, right. It's it's embedded in pop culture now. And once yeah. again, I mean, you said you've seen the other Predator movies. The Predator is what we call it, but that's not what its name was. And I guess it has no. a specific name. We'll talk a little bit about the filming. So according to Schwarzenegger, filming was physically demanding. The actor and former bodybuilder shipped gym equipment to Mexico and trained extensively every day before shooting began, usually with his co-stars. Screenwriter Jim Thomas was impressed with the training regimen and said, I think the phrase manly men was coined during the production of Predator. It provided a variety of hardships for the actors, such as leeches, snakes, stifling humidity, heat, and rough terrain. All of the night scenes were filmed during freezing cold temperatures, which were especially hard on Schwarzenegger. During the latter half of the movie, when he's when the mud he had to wear, which was actually pottery clay, became cold and wet, he was warned it would take his body temperature down a few degrees, and he shivered nonstop, even when they tried to heat him with lamps, which only made the clay dry out. So then they tried having him drinking Jaeger tea, which was a schnapps mixture to warm him, but Arnold claimed the more he drank it, the more intoxicated he became, which made all of the scenes unfilmable. It's pretty tough. With the rough terrain, according to the actors, it was, they were never on a flat surface. It was always on a hill. So they stood all day long on a hill, one leg down, one leg up. It proved to be physically exhausting for the cast. Schwarzenegger also faced the challenge of working with Kevin Peter Hall, who could not see in the Predator suit. Hall stated in an interview that his experience in the film wasn't a movie, it was a survival story for all of us. For example, in the scene when the Predator chases Dutch, the water was foul, stagnant, and full of leeches. Hall could not see out of the mask and had to rehearse the scenes with it off and then memorize where everything was. The outfit was difficult to wear because it was heavy and affected his balance, so they actually had to uh, tie him to a lift to keep his balance when he was walking that they took out in post-production. So... Hmm. And I think Carl Weathers made the comment on the behind-the-scenes video. He said they had a lot of problems. The first memory that comes to mind when he thinks of filming the movie is seeing John McTiernan's head in his hands, shaking his head, going, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I bet. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes. Any scenes that stand out or most iconic scenes? Um, it's not really much of a scene movie. Um, again, I, I can't really think of a scene. Uh, you know, there's the, the moments where, you know, near the end where it's just Arnold and the, the Predator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he pretty much, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I know the movie came after, but I couldn't help but watch it this time going, uh, he's, he's, he's having to home alone the forest. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. You know, and set up all the traps and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, I honestly just can't think of a single scene, uh, that really sticks out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a well flowing movie. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't uh, have much lag really. I mean, it, it, no. it has great pacing. Um, 
even with the conversation he left in the jungle, nothing is drawn out too long. It's enough to keep the story moving. So. Yeah, and I, even though, you know, it definitely starts off with a MacGuffin. Um, you know, they, they come there, obviously, to rescue some sort of, you know, uh, dignitary, yeah. Yeah, diplomat, um, which they completely abandon. Right. Uh, even when they get to the the place where the, the terrorists, the kidnappers, yeah, uh, you know, are, out. right. we see them execute a hostage. Right. And they say that he's ex- they've executed one of the hostages. They mm-hmm. do not say it's the diplomat. Right. Um, and then they proceed to blow everything up. So, <laughs> so at that very moment, you go, okay, this is no longer, we don't care about this diplomat anymore. Right. You know, definitely just the MacGuffin to get the plot going. Yeah. Um, well, that was you know, the whole, that was the whole setup that Carl Weathers character had them do because he yeah. was just, you know, I think, I think the line is said at the beginning, they're not assassins. They're, are, they're, you know, they're, they're for rescue, a rescue mission. And yeah. basically Carl Weathers talked them into going to assassinate all those people. And I guess for him to get whatever intelligence or whatever they found. Which, but, which again brings me back to, if they're not assassins, why does Jesse Ventura have such a giant gun? gun right, right. Um, that task to second unit director Craig R. Baxley, who is better known as a stunt coordinator and director for the TV show The A-Team. That makes sense. Yes. So when McTiernan actually saw the footage, he was outraged and wanted the whole sequence reshot. But producer Joel Silver loved it and demanded to be left in the final cut. It flows really great. Um, You know, it kicks off, uh, you know, with the, the big explosive moments because, you know, it's like McTiernan saying, hey, you know, look, I'm going to give you this big, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger commando mm-hmm. moment here at the beginning because for the rest of the movie, you know, it's going to be a waiting game. Right, right. Uh, because the Predator is going to pick off each guy one by one. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's going to be short bursts of action. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, it flows really well after that. Um, well, the interesting thing about that actual scene, the attack or the raid and the hideout, uh, did you know that scene was actually not filmed by John McTiernan? I did not. Yep. Which watching, I think it works. Yeah, but watching it this time, it is much more, like, it felt like the A-Team. Like, all the yeah, explosions, yeah. you have the guys, like, jumping from the explosion, you know. Um, yeah. It, it, it It's a little bit more, which, once again, it works because it's showing the, it wanted to, he wanted to be chaotic with all the different, them coming from different areas and the explosions and, you know, of course you got the great, you know, one-liners from Arnold, stick around and knock, knock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but it, it is, it, it is a little, it, it is different from the rest of the film, but, uh, but it, I mean, it still works. I, I mean, as a kid, that was probably my favorite scene of all the scenes, but I was also a big fan of the A Team, so it's probably why I enjoyed it so much because it reminded me of that. So, but yeah, me too. I, I'm a huge fan of A Team. You know, I, I can see maybe because again, going back to you know, they had made the statement that they're not killers, um, you know, or assassins, whatever, and yet they go in here, you know, guns a blazing right. as soon as right. I mean, uh, the first thing that Arnold does is put an explosive in a truck that's you know running some kind of generator 
and launches it into, I guess, the little uh, feeding tent or whatever and blows up. <laughs> I love how long it takes the guy sitting next to the truck to realize <laughs> that Arnold is lifting right. the truck. Right, right. But yeah, I, I don't think I have any specific favorite scenes. I think there's the, there's the iconic scenes. But once again, I think it's more of the iconic lines. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, I ain't got time to bleed. Like I said, the stick around, knock, knock. Um, get to the chopper. Get to the chopper, yeah, which Schwarzenegger says is his favorite catchphrase. Even though he, it's it's barely said. I mean, unless you, no, you know, yeah. unless you, you're looking for it. I mean, when he says it, I'm like, is that the one they're talking about? Um, yeah, it, no, it's a throwaway line to the, <laughs> to the, um, the, the token character that has to be the one you know that will survive. Right. Um, yeah, let's add this woman to our crew for no reason. Right. right. Uh, yeah, she yeah she does have not really much to do with anything besides telling the story about every time it's really hot, these weird things happen, which later goes and explain why they own the predators only show up on Earth during the hottest summers. Yeah, and I like that. I mean, it's a, it's also kind of a hidden throwaway line, mm-hmm. but to kind of explain that this isn't the first time. Right. Right. Uh, that you know she's heard stories yeah and uh, so i did like that i tell um, you that that was yeah. there. one of the iconic scenes that i loved um that i found out during the research was improvised by bill duke is the scene where they're waiting uh they're waiting when they've set the first set of traps they all made and they're waiting for the predator to come through and he's shaving his already clean shaven face with the razor which i guess is some kind of calming mechanism i mean no, no, no one really knows but he improvised that scene, uh, and the crew actually had to scramble to make a razor that would squirt blood. Um, but I just—that's one of those scenes that's iconic to me. When I think about Predator, I think about that scene of watching him dig into his cheek, and just—I remember seeing that scene for the first time, and it was just like, wow! Like that wasn't that—that intensity of uh, of that moment, and uh, and then when he's just like. Uh, when he thinks he's caught the predator and he's just like knifing it in the in the pit or whatever, but it was it was a uh, I thought it was a wild boar. I don't remember if anybody ever it said was. Uh, yeah, you know, it was yeah. And so uh, that whole that whole scene, which I thought was a great once again for storytelling purposes, that was great watching it the first time. Like oh my gosh, they actually got him like that easy, and then it not yeah. be it not be him. So. Um, well, yeah, and you're you're you know you're running through your head, you know. Okay, is this going to be a where there's two of them? Right. You know, that's yeah. going to be yeah, the, yeah. the surprise, the the big reveal. Um, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, uh, and, and I'll say even now rewatching it, even the camouflaging effect that they did for the predator still looks pretty cool, even though it's very dated now. Um, it, it, does until his eyes glow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The eyes glowing look so disjointed. Right. Um, but no, the the reflective effect, I think, still holds up. Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly, I don't think you can clean that up. No. Um, too much because then you lose the fact that you know you can see him. Right. Um, you know, there's even that scene where they do see him. You know, perched on the the tree limb mm-hmm. and uh i forgot which two characters but you know it's like you know he's right ahead of us and mm-hmm. takes the other one a minute and they kind of give the shot where you see him yeah. 
That's uh, and there. That's Carl Weathers and Bill Duke because he's like, I see you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I just think you know, I mean, yeah, you know, more modern. Uh, you can clean it up, and then as he moves, you know, so maybe even fool the audience for a mm-hmm. second, like, no, he's not there, and then all of a sudden he moves, and you realize he's there. But uh, but no, I think it. I think the effects, for the most part, do hold up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, the the eyes are you know when they flash, which has no uh, bearing later on, other than you know the the characters talking about the eyes. Right. 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 Um, you know, because you don't even see his eyes glow when, you know, you do finally see the predator in his mask. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not sure why did they flash like that. Um, you would think that that was a horrible that would have been a horrible uh, uh, decision when the aliens created <laughs> that that suit. Um, right. Yeah, it's a perfect you know stealth suit, but every now and then the eyes flash. Uh, <laughs> So, right. you know, but I think that holds up, of course, all the practical effects mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. I think the only time I was, you know, I, I think even with the Predator costume, the only time that I, you know, I went, okay, it's a guy in a costume, was when he's using his fingers to fix his wound. Yeah, yeah. And you can clearly tell he's, it's a person wearing gloves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just it, it's just because of the way he holds uh, the items and reaches for the items. Um, you know, you can tell. Okay, he, his finger is a little bit further down than the actual finger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really one of the only times that any of the effects, and that was to get a practical effect, um, just for the costume. You know, the blood glowing green. Yeah. Um, you know, very reminiscent. Uh, I. I actually mentioned this in the last podcast, the summer school podcast, but I actually just rewatched the reanimator series. Right, right. And of course, you know, in that, the, the formula is a glowing green substance. And so, you know, I, I had to think, I wonder if, you know, there's a connection in the, the way this stuff was made. Well, they, um, they originally wanted to be orange, the blood, but it didn't look as good on camera. So someone thought maybe trying yellow, and so they broke open a glow stick, added some KY jelly to give it a little bit more substance. So there that's actually what well, they said was a cheap fix because they just ran to a local store and bought all the glow sticks they could find and used that. So, but I thought the neon, the neon yellow definitely pops more in those scenes. It stands out a lot better. I will say though, it makes you question, you know, the first time when he's hit, if they show it there's uh one of the characters ends up with some of it on them mm-hmm. and and uh it's the girl right and, you know, she ends, and it's like they can't they don't see it and that and, but then later they show her with it again mm-hmm. on like her leg and i'm going okay it didn't wipe off it didn't fade <laughs> right so why why do they not see this glowing ooze mm-hmm. on her um but but no, the the effects I think are great and they hold up even you know thirty years later. Um, you know I had no problem with that at all. Uh, even you know even Jesse Ventura's you know guts hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. Had... Carl Weathers losing his arm. Yeah, yeah. Which that scene is still iconic for me too when he loses his arm and that scene of the severed arm, but it's still pulling the trigger on the gun and the gun's still firing. Yeah. So, yeah is one of the few movies that's successful of crossing genres. 
really well. Being it, it could, it's it can almost stand alone as a action movie, also a sci-fi movie, also somewhat of a horror movie. I mean, it has it it blended those elements together really well. I think where it didn't feel uneven um, throughout yeah. the movie. So, but once again, you know, uh, kind of credit McTiernan for. Once again, I think it learning from Spielberg with Jaws, don't show your monster too early in the film. So they, there's a whole lot of, you know, the the action side of the commandos and their mission before you really put the Predator uh, in the forefront of the story. And Well, and McTiernan had a double layer with that because, you know, you, you finally get to see the 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 alien but then you realize later oh he's taking his mask off right and then you get to see what he looks like yeah under the mask and the big you know the scream with the Mm -hmm. little uh you know i don't know what the mandibles that (laughs) come out right uh and you know you get you get really that uh you know it's great that you know later he'd be paired up with the alien you know you get that iconic scene of you know him screaming with the mandibles just like when the predator and the uh, I forgot the name of it, but the little mouth teeth come out of the predator next mm-hmm. to Scorny Weaver, uh, right, you know, right. just that added little scare factor mm-hmm. of okay, this thing is a lot creepier uh, than we originally thought. Yeah, James Cameron actually gave um, I think it's Stan Winston who did the effects. He gave him the idea of the mandibles. That was that was his suggestion. When they were trying to, because the original, and you can find it on YouTube, the original suit, it was uh, totally different than uh, what they ended up using by the end. I guess the suit that that Van Damme used, it was more of an insect-looking head. It wasn't the uh, kind of uh, warrior face with the uh, metal. So, yeah. uh, so Schwarzenegger recommended Winston, who had done the effects for uh, Terminator. And brought him on to kind of fix it up. So, so we don't we don't talk too much about the the soundtracks or the music for the movies that we talk about. But I thought this was an interesting one because um, the mu- music is very iconic. But I didn't realize it was actually Alvin Silvestri. I'm sorry, Alan Silvestri that composed the music for this. He's still getting good work today. He was chosen after hearing his work on Back to the Future. He was actually brought back. That makes that connection. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I guess originally Joel Silver wanted Michael Kamen to do the music uh, after collaborating with him on Lethal Weapon, but Kamen was unavailable due to him working on Adventures and Babysitting. How about that? Two totally polar opposite films to be working on. So, uh, but director John McTiernan recommended uh, Silverstreet after hearing his work on Back to the Future. Uh, Silverstreet's score became so iconic it was brought back for Predator 2 and the score for Predator's that was made in 2010, reused many of the original musical themes. But that drum timpani with the, you know, that is just, it's iconic. I mean, that, that especially at the beginning, just that, that uh, gives it a war picture kind of a score. But uh, yep. I just thought that was, and of course, Alan Silvestri's done all, most of the Avengers movies as well. So the Avengers theme is him. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the box office. So, as I said, it was released on June 12th, 1987. It was number one at the box office. No surprise there. It's opening weekend with a gross of $12 million, which was second only to Beverly Hills Cop 2, 
for the calendar year of 87. It eventually grossed $98 million, of which $59 million was from the U.S. and Canadian box office. It scored well. It's currently an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 87% audience score. IMDb has it as 7.8 out of 10 with a 45% Metacritic. Once again, the critics just didn't seem to get this one as uh, as well as everybody else. But uh, uh, Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> But I'm definitely on more of the Rotten Tomatoes side. I mean, it's 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 a high B, low A movie for me. I mean, yeah. give it eight eight or nine stars. And I think for me that I mean, I score stuff high when I know it's rewatchable. And once again, as many times as I've seen this, and it's still enjoyable even though I know what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. I think it definitely has that rewatchable uh, quality to it. So most definitely. I yeah. mean Again, it Die Hard. I mean, again, a lot of those McTiernan uh, movies. Uh, Joel Silver produced. Yeah, movies. exactly. Uh, yeah. Again, even going into Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, of course, I'm you know biased there because I have a, a love for Richard Donner too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, no, yeah, it's definitely it's one of those just great uh, '80s action movies. Uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger at his prime. It's just a, a yeah. It's a fun movie. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true, and I think it. You know, once again, it, it proved that still that uh, Schwarzenegger could carry a movie without necessarily being totally him. Uh, I mean, he had Terminator. He had the success. Well, Terminator was after this. No, it was before this. Terminator was first, then Commander. Terminator was before. Yeah. Yeah. Then this. So, because um, because Terminator was still when they weren't quite sure about Arnold. Right. Which is why he only has like six lines of dialogue. Well, there is a story on this one that with all the constant rewrites, Schwarzenegger said, there's a few things I can do really well and there's one thing I can't. And they said, the one thing he can't, he knew he couldn't do really well was act. And so he said, one day when he got the rewrites, he stormed out of his trailer, grabbed McTiernan and said, there's too many words on this page. I'm going to say three of them. Yeah. Now, whether that's a true story or not, I don't know, but that's what I heard. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. So. All right, well, we're going to run. It's been a good movie. It's always a good one to go back and watch once again. Uh, another summer blockbuster that's good to watch any summer or any other time. So, Laramie, thanks for being a part of this one. I appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. That's movieviews, M-O-V-I-V-I-E-W-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and will also introduce the next 80s Flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a 5-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, 
be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashbacks.